Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I am a socially distanced, rather hot and rather sweaty because the weather's a bit too ropey, Adam <laughs> Nicholas. And Michael, as always, despite the fact we may be feeling slightly claustrophobic on this, mm. to say, warmer weathered evening of ours tonight, doing too this. Too warm, mate. Too, too warm. warm. <laughs> bit too warm. But it doesn't matter how warm you are, mate, because you can still call us the front of the plane because no matter how hot it gets, we are still all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at podcast horseman you can also follow either of your hosts if you would like you can follow me at it's adam nicholas or you can follow michael hamflit at michael hamflit you can also follow along with this podcast through wherever you get your podcast from you can subscribe at apple Podcasts. you can follow along on spotify you can listen on aircast you can even find them embedded every week in the tweets on fridays when they drop uh, on stitcher pretty much anywhere you get your podcast you've heard all the spiel before and speaking of spiel you've heard before we would love it if you would leave us a five-star review um as you've heard in every podcast you've ever listened to it's great to get us up in those uh, apple podcast charts it's great for the algorithm it helps more people find us helps more people be able to talk themselves horse about the talking horse and later on in this show we'll be reading out one of your five-star reviews to induct the latest member in our hollywood talk of fame Excellent stuff. And don't forget, if you don't do that, Michael Hamlet will find you and beat you up. <laughs> but having said all that, let's jump straight into the Netflix synopsis. It's season two, it's episode eight, and it's called Let's Find Out. Bojack is one of the celebrity guest stars on the first episode of Mr. Peanut Butter's game show, but the game doesn't go as expected. Michael, Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. And I'll <laughs> hand it over to you, shall I? Thanks very much. Yeah, it was. Well, let's find out is a nice way to start this episode, isn't it? Because we immediately find out every single thing we need to know about this episode from a wonderful cold open. Inspired, we think, by Aaron Sorkin's style in The West Wing and Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which is, of course, where this quiz is filmed. We find um, a quick dialogue introduction with Bojack speaking to both Wanda and Princess Carolyn, being the first celebrity on HSACWDTKDTKTLFO. Sorry for anybody that wasn't listening last week. That's the abbreviation for Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they know? What is it again? Sorry. Uh, H-S-A-C-W-D-T-K-D-T-K-T-L-F-O. But, like, you know, I worry that, like, sometimes that kind of, like, rules people out of understanding the show we're talking about. So, yes, it is indeed Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Um, 
So yeah, just to keep everybody up to date, dialogue is very much flying like that. Every character is speaking very quickly. Every character is just getting all the details out, all the exposition, but it's done so beautifully. Uh, Wanda talks about faxing the treatment for the show, but Bojack is going in completely cold and that will really matter later on. He says he cares more about her rather than the show, which is actually quite sweet from Bojack. That's why he's doing this, almost as like a favour. They needed a celebrity for the pilot and he's going to fulfil that, pro, that, uh, that role. Um, the shot follows Wanda into the production room where J.D. Salinger declares that for the next 30 minutes, I am God. And he sits in his director's <laughs> chair in a godlike figure. There is mirrors to the Truman Show, if you've seen that, in the way that somebody looking at a production wall of screens is controlling every aspect of the people's lives. Um, Wanda is given an iPad to follow along with the, the show's second screen experience, which is new to her in the way that every single piece of technology has been over the last 30 years. Uh, and it, which pretty much is our A plot. We are going to watch the first episode of this quiz. We are immediately introduced to our B plot as well in the form of Ronda in that second screen before Todd bundles in to meet Mia McKibben. Have I got that name right? Mia McKibben, the overqualified and underutilized young female wonderkind that basically has no time for his nonsense, which gives us our C plot. J.D. Salinger, in the meantime, has no place for Tom's tomfoolery, or as he calls it, Todd Foolery kicks him out the studio, gives him an absolutely amazing bollocking before a huge epic pep talk for the whole crew in the room that night um, that results in him offering his pen to the best worker in the room, which sets up our D-plot for the night. Everything is covered by this incredible cold open. And then J.D. Salinger rounds the whole thing up by saying, nothing is more important than television and no one is more important than the people who make that television. I thought, as we hit the credits, this was funny, this was efficient, it was economical, and it was so, so exciting. Um, how they have, again, done the show within the show by making you care so much about a meaningless, vapid game show in the course of One Cold Open was absolutely inspired. And again, that Sorkin style, that Studio 60 style, you could not feel more ready for the episode to begin. Not the episode of Bojack Horseman, the episode of HSAC, WTKK, WDTKKTLFO. Well, I mean, how do I follow that? Uh, the answer is you don't. I'm knackered. Well, what? I don't have to try. <laughs> well, you basically covered every letter of the alphabet there, I think, without the course <laughs> of that uh, of that cold open. To be honest, though, you're right. The electricity in the air that is happening in the studio where this is all going on, you feel that when you're watching the episode, you're excited. I want to know what's going to come next. We all want to know what's going to come next. And to be fair, they've teed up everything you want. It's all there. It's all up for grabs. Much like the questions in this quiz that we're going to get in a second. <laughs> My word, I was ready for this. I was, I loved the Aaron Sorkin style. It like beginning the quick flashes here and there. This was a powerhouse of a start. It's just so great as well that we've kind of like last week we were only kind of given JD Salinger by the former deciding a costume for peanut butter, and the implication was really there that all of a sudden he was reduced in stature immediately in the world of television. But then getting come face to face with his god complex and the fact that he's given away his pen as a prize, a pen which he notes that he wrote the sequel to the Catcher in the Rye, not obviously the Catcher in the Rye. So the level of importance that that pen even holds uh, is like left up for question. But for this moment, he is god in that world. But it does also have the colour green on it. So, you know, <laughs> there are four colours to this pen, Michael. It's not your everyday pen, although I'm pretty sure you own this exact pen. Or you or Sidgwick owns a pen very similar to this. I do love those pens. He is right. <laughs> he is right. There is no reason for the green. Why green? I like, green. Why I like green? having it. I like green for a nice double underline. Um, 
So here we are. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter enters through the confetti exploding out of his ears while his eyes are made of dollar signs on a giant head, exactly as he described last week when he said that him and J.D. Salinger bonded over not being phonies. Um, and this thing is goddamn huge. This set, this quiz, this concept. Picture the X Factor, picture America's Got Talent, that exact setup from the music that we hear playing constantly in the background, from a crowd that are absolutely insane for everything being shown, from a set that is needlessly vast. There are screens with huge words on at the top that are over top of Mr. Peanut Butter's giant head and a series of other sets that we'll see throughout the episode. It is as if it has been going for years and is a national institution, despite the fact that this is the very first episode. Um, Bojack very quickly preps with PC. Again, he's not done any sort of proper prep in a sense. He thinks he's here to do a favour to his girlfriend. He thinks he's going to be the smart-talking Bojack with the, the stupid avatar version of himself in the host, Mr. Peanut Butter. So he strolls onto the stage. He's kind of expecting to be a raconteur and rib Mr. Peanut Butter, but he has no time as they immediately begin the small talk round. Even their sort of introductory banter is going to be turned into part of this quiz. Um, <laughs> Bojack gets the first question right when he says he's fine, but immediately gets the second question wrong because he didn't see the game last night. He didn't see the game. At this point, we are obviously given the red flag that this quiz is just going to make no sense whatsoever. JD Salinger wants to find out what they know and if they know things, but I don't think even he knows what he wants to know. Uh, <laughs> Bojack has lost the first round before the sound of a deathling bloody murder of a scream of a woman <laughs> shouting, Ah, God, no! Let us know that it's time for general knowledge. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the noise that goes off. That's the noise that goes off in my head every time I think I've got to handle a general knowledge general knowledge quiz. Bojack, while trying to like weather the shock of this noise. He's completely not ready for it. And he's asked what the average rainfall in Bora Bora is. And they get it wrong, because of course he does. Only really so Mr. Peanut Butter can say he should have studied Mora Mora. And at this point, we kind of feel like the fix is in. Mr. Peanut Butter gets that line in that he appears to be reading from a card, at which point it cuts to J.D. Salinger back in the chair saying, Hilarious! Yes, Mr. Peanut Butter! Going for the kill! <laughs> like, already... We're learning that there is so much more to this game show than it just being a game show. <laughs> Again, there's no time to breathe before we hear that same woman's voice scream, they're all dead, I watched them die! Which lets us know that Mr Peanut Butter can pick a category. <laughs> Bojack indeed picks a category from this board. He's got the opportunity of trigonometry, advanced physics, or at the movies with Mr Peanut Butter. <laughs> he, uh, he picks what seems like the safest category, but the question is what Mr. Peanut Butter thought about a film as he was leaving the cinema. He's given four idiotic uh, multiple-choice questions. That's framed like a who wants to be a millionaire question. Bojack gets the answer wrong, but in revealing that, Mr. Peanut Butter reveals that he actually would have got it right had the answers made sense. This game is fixed. It's working against Bojack. It's basically working to propel the host and give the audience of clapping seals, which in this show I should be careful because they're not literal seals, but they may as well be. Yeah. Something to clap about. Um, I need to take another breath. This is insane. <laughs> this is absolutely insane. It's madness, and immediately we realise the fix is in. It's very, very in. But it kind of goes to... There's part of me thinks that, like, this is classic Bojack in the terms of he turns up for this thing, and it, uh, even if he had studied and prepared for it, though, we kind of learn that doesn't matter because him winning this is not what it's about, which immediately is going to irk him because it's a thing that isn't about Bojack Horseman. So he's always going to hate this. He wants it to be about him. It's not. It's very, very much not about him. And the thing I love throughout this, as you're going to see continue, is just 
how we, as you mentioned at the start there, J.D. Salinger goes from, in the previous episode, we think it's hit a demotion, pretty much. He's handing out clothing, potentially. But actually what you figure out is, it's because he's the godlike complex that wants to oversee literally everything yes. because he wants to have control over all of it, very much like he would have over one of his novels. And the power that's going to his head and how he's slowly progressing into this absolute monster is where the real money is in all of this. <laughs> there was actual terror in the line, going for the kill. And yeah, yet, because Bojack plays so well with Shades of Grey, we've seen him, we've seen him, as in Bojack Horseman, feel above the show and then be completely outclassed by the concept and the format which is set to propel Mr. Peanut Butter. But Mr. Peanut Butter is not doing it in a way that makes you feel sympathetic at all. No, he no. goes in at every opportunity, which is either part him, part direction from J.D. Salinger. Nobody is covered in glory in this experience, and yet nobody is the out-and-out -out villain. They're asking you to make choices constantly in a universe that within, what, Five minutes of television they've created as like completely upside down. This is a topsy-turvy world where you're being asked as a viewer to make quite straight-laced decisions about the characters and the whys and the hows of what they're doing. But it's like it's like a real embodiment of just Hollywood and the madness of Hollywood, isn't it? Mm. Like the whole thing is just it's all fake. Everything yes. is a fake, it's a lie, it's not real, it's not about what it should be about. The things that should matter actually don't matter. It's more about the uh, the artificial, the materialistic stuff. That's the things that matter. On this show, nobody cares really who wins or not. It's all about how are we going to put Bojack Horseman through with the worst time ever for the entertainment of this audience. And to be fair, so far, so good. It's quite something that if you want to find out uh, if celebrities know things and what they know, do not watch Hollywood Stars yeah, Celebrities. Don't watch the show. Do um, so we cut briefly to Todd who is uh, he's carrying light catering and explaining through this little bit of expositional dialogue with Mia that he's been given the job as a production assistant on the show. It was absolutely piss easy for him to get the gig, while Mia in the background, who has told us that she went to Stanford University, that she's been topping her class, is lugging around a bag labelled ear confetti. She has been given the grunt work while Todd lays out the food just because he's friends with Mr Peanut Butter. Yet again, Todd has fallen into one of these positions, but for the first time, we're not really being asked to receive this as a heroic act. What we're being reminded of is that other people deserve this so much more, but Todd, a man, an idiot with a friend, has found this dead easy job, while a woman with a life and a story and a dream is having a thumb pressed on her yet again. This is a theme, and I cannot believe I missed this, although I can, because I'm the idiot male that needs to learn, is in, I think, literally every single episode of Bojack. I think now we can stick our long horse faces out enough to suggest that this will feature in every single episode because it certainly feels like we talk about it all the time. I love that they use this setting as well to kind of shine the light even more on it because this is a high-pressure situation and this is the kind of um, scenario that involves lots of people, lots of assistants, lots of people behind the scenes who are doing mm -hmm. the grunt work, who are having to work absolutely tirelessly in a very short space of time. And how many women are on the actual show, Michael? How many? Yeah. Zero. How many? Zero, Michael, Zero. because all of them are men. And this entire dumb, stupid show <laughs> came from the head of a man who literally was a recluse from society for so long and only really got it to work because the woman he pitched it to had been in a 30-year coma. <laughs> the, uh, I like that you said that this came from the, the head of a man when Mr. Peanut Butter very literally came from his own head to start from this show. From his own literal um, head. We don't have any time to linger on Todd and Mia's, like, I want to say a blossoming relationship, but it's still one based on their differences rather than their similarities. We cut back to Bojack 
um, getting more and more rock-hard questions wrong, leading to J.D. Salinger turning up some heat lamps that are directly pointed at his head so that we can start seeing the beads of sweat form on Bojack's brow. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter is mocking his alcoholism. So Bojack does some wordplay which dies harder than any of his stand-up set. He's not in a position to turn to the audience to ask if they got it because they don't want to get it. They're completely with the host. Uh, PB does some bang average banter about just ripping the piss out of Bojack, but it immediately brings the brain crowd back on side who again are just howling at these jokes at Bojack's expense. This is not even his world and he's the one on the show. You are left questioning, should he have read the script? Should he have read the treatment? But everything still seems set up if you consider the placement of the heat lamps to get Bojack. Um, in the meantime, we're back to Wanda, who is only really watching the th show through the second screen. So not really watching the show. She's reading comment after comment coming in. But people are loving it. She tells JD that, um, like, everything's going great. But he's got the bomb, which is a death from above scream, reveals that there is a, a big celebrity to come onto the show. This is something that, again, Bojack was completely unaware of. The bomb is, in fact, Daniel Radcliffe. Um, literally phrased as the big celebrity while Bojack is the little celebrity despite the fact he's a, a 10 ton horse or whatever he revealed his weight as in the first season one um Bojack as it turns out was there to be reduced from the very beginning in terms of start and in terms of status Bojack even more pissed off than he was before thanks to Daniel Radcliffe's sudden arrival um is chatting to Wanda during ad break and Wanda's telling him that the second screen viewers are absolutely loving it um, though still, she's not really watching. She hasn't clocked what's going on and what kind of time this currently is for Bojack. Certainly some of the, the skeletons that have started to emerge out of his closet that she has absolutely no idea of. Um, there's another great joke about Wanda having said before that she'd faxed the, uh, the script to Bojack and that's why he'd not picked it up. She this time notes that she faxed it through her shredder and that it had turned it into like lots of little strips of paper. Um, she does walk off because obviously she's just really pleased that the show's going well. She says, love you. So it's Bojack replies, oh, you. Which again is a... A tell that brilliantly they've not gone back to since they hammered this point home two episodes ago. This remains this thing that like kind of just lingers in the air between the two of them. Before Bojack and Daniel Radcliffe go back on stage, they have a brief interaction where they meet each other formally. But Bojack is trying to explain that Daniel Radcliffe has actually met him before. They've had a very detailed uh, sort of chat and interaction together. Daniel Radcliffe has completely no idea, including not even knowing Bojack's name. Um, although as soon as an assistant comes to bring him back on uh, uh, the stage, uh, it's another female assistant, as you pointed out. He remembers her completely by name from five years ago when she was an assistant on The Ellen Show. A great, great joke within a joke there because that female assistant is now a senior assistant instead of a secondary one. It's taken her five years to move from a secondary assistant's job on Ellen to uh, a senior assistant's job on a dumb, stupid quiz show. Women do not get opportunities, but men have friends. Which could arguably be seen as like a sideways move rather than an advancement in a career. Despite the title being better, she's still no really further off than where she was on the previous show. Five years. <laughs> Five years, man. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Five years of graft, and you end up going in a sideways direction for a change. I would say it's a gross reality of Hollywood, but every single thing about this show is a gross reality of Hollywood. As J.D. Salinger is going progressively madder in the control room. Uh, Todd has raided the costume closet yet again to become a business-like version of himself. He looks like he's straight out of Wall Street. He's got a suit... He's got slicked back hair that's very shiny, but he's got a suit that is suspiciously as shiny as the hair, which suggests... Has, that he's has, used... he put, 
He's put the hair product on his suit, hasn't he? I think I that's think the implication. He's put the product on the suit because it is glistening with a sort of, I don't even want to say a shine, it's more a greasy quality. You can feel it almost. You feel like you need to give your screen a wipe afterwards. Um, he's just trying to now be businesslike and uh, compete slash impress Mia because he's still a good guy and he's listened to like her story and her plight and he kind of wants to get a bit more on a level. But he's still wearing Heelys, uh, the little wheels on those shoes that completely undermines him, which allow, he thinks it's going to allow him to move quicker, but it just allows Mia to push him, literally push him out of the room because he still can't take things seriously. There is no time to break on that because we go back to the quiz. <laughs> but at this point, Mr. Peter Butter informs us that Bojack is down 80 points and $12. Uh, as Bojack tries to explain how that can possibly be so, it's too late because Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe is being asked uh, the hard questions himself, such as what colour is made from blue and yellow? This has got to be the joke of the show. He offers a very long, unsolicited anecdote about the time, how he lived next door to a painter, Nicholas, and uh, he once saw that painter mixing yellow paint and mixing mm. blue paint. Mm -hmm. And that painter was Banksy, and the answer was green. <laughs> <laughs> the detail of him meeting one of this generation's most, if not the generation's most important artists, and the takeaway from Daniel Radcliffe, another Hollywood idiot male, I should say, voiced by himself here, completely like into this very much so, is that he saw him mixing the colours of paint. Even the delivery of the story feels like when you watch one of these shows that is completely padded for time. Like, somebody could come on and answer questions in five minutes, and yeah. yet you watch a bloody goddamn hour thing punctuated by endless advert breaks because celebrities waffle on instead of just giving the answer to a question. There's the two great parts of this as well, because the way he talks about it, he's like, and he made a completely brand new colour. Like, like the colour he's going to describe <laughs> is going to be so out there that you've never heard of it before, and it's just green. But then on top of that, also probably confirms our suspicion about that little... Uh, doodle that was on the dustbin from the previous episode, wasn't it? Where Banksy, we mentioned, was probably involved. The fact he gets name dropped in this episode, I think almost but all confirms that, Michael. There is some IRL soothsaying from the makers of this show as well, because this was before Banksy put the art through the shredder, which yeah. is exactly what Wanda would do if she was able to try and like use technology to improve that art. She would probably assume it to be a modern framing device and it would go straight through. Cut, cut, cut. Um, so from that, uh, Daniel Radcliffe wins that round. So he's allowed to go into a Kia Sportage to grab a series of $5 bills just flying around the Sportage. Bojack is locked away in like an old classroom setting with which is his essay on the French Revolution. And uh, Princess Caroline <laughs> sneaks in to tell a long anecdote playing poker in 2003, which i got to be honest, I felt seen. Uh, I was between college and university around that time and I played an awful lot of poker using a set that you could buy, an all-in-one. That is a very, very, very deep cut like observation, but the way she tells the story, it's as if the whole world has flashed back to the 1920s. She's yeah. there dressed as a flapper girl. Mr. Peanut Butter looks like a high roller in an old vintage casino. You have Bojack suddenly like superimposed into the story as a horse who is one of the dogs from one of those famous pieces of art where you've got like dogs playing poker, dogs playing pool, things like that. He's suddenly inserted into the story. She's only got the trouble of telling all that story to explain to Bojack that Mr. Peanut Butter, the dog, has the tell of his ears going, pricking up slightly when he gets excited. 
Bojack takes this tale nonetheless after mocking Princess Carolyn that that was probably a needless story. Quite sweet that maybe a cat wouldn't know that that's just what dogs do when they get excited. Yeah. She thinks she has to go to the trouble of like delivering this elaborate news. Bojack gets a great and caustic line in. He says, uh, so his ears flop up when he gets excited. No surprise there. The guy's been flopping up his whole career, which is just that nice little dig. Suddenly the classroom is lifted. Daniel Radcliffe has won $54,000 in the Kia Sportage. Well, Bojack, as Mr. Peanutbutter mocks him for, has hardly gone beyond his thesis statement. He has actually done <laughs> quite a lot of this essay, but it's not enough. Um, but the next round is multiple choice, which, of course, allows Bojack back into the game through a series of absolutely wonderful and ridiculous visual cutaway gags of the rounds that these two men are thrust into. We see that through all these multiple choice questions, Peanut Butter's ears prick up when it's an answer, which Bojack allows, gives Bojack the clue that he's going to get it right. So question after question after question, this thing is going Bojack's way. Um, all of these stupid physical rounds are never dwelled on beyond the split second cut, which only makes them funnier on rewatch, which is, of course, what we're here for. Um, <laughs> but there's a great moment because in between all that we are cut back to jd salinger still in the seat of god who simply asks down the lens what does he know does he know things let's find out he is as invested in this format as he ever was despite the fact that at this point we've seen it get stupider and stupider and stupider uh very very important wrinkle to the tale though nicholas during another break daniel radcliffe reveals that he should actually be cruising through this quiz um, Bojack obviously using this tell has effectively cheated the system that was rigged against him. He was told he was only here to come on, plug his movie, and win some money for charity. Bojack misconstrues this entirely uh, charity to be Daniel Radcliffe's girlfriend and uh, goes back to find Wanda, who is still obsessed with the second screen, but asks Bojack to throw the show. The plot has indeed thickened at this point, hasn't it? Because we see, we already thought it was pretty rigged, but mm. then we find out that actually they just wanted to bring the real big star, Daniel Radcliffe, on. Have everybody have a nice time. And Bojack would ultimately be the person who bit the dust as a result of everyone else having a really nice time. There is quite something to Daniel Radcliffe. Um, the the voice acting he does when they cut briefly back to him in the Kia Sportage. He's saying, this is easy, I've got a five. Like, I don't know if, if, if what they've tried to do is because he was obviously known as this boy wizard. They've asked him to, like, play himself very reductively as if he was a boy wizard, getting yeah. to grab cash from inside a car. Um, it is, of course, just a commentary on, like, Hollywood's, like, gross spending and the fetishization of objects and money and everything like that, which, again, as we've sort of said about, like, gender profiles in this show, it's something that Bojack never, ever shies away from and just thrusts it up front in this show. And um, we go back, now that Bojack has got it in mind through Wanda that he should probably just throw the show, the first question back is about Secretariat. Bojack buzzes in immediately on the answer, but then catches himself, looks back, sees Wanda and Princess Carolyn looking towards him, makes the call, gets the question wrong on purpose, which leads Mr. Peanut Butter to going really, really hard on how Bojack could be so stupid. Are you even in the movie? How could you not get that one? Like you wouldn't win a race if you were secretary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Harder than he was with the alcoholism, harder than he was at the start of the show. Um, it's as if, again, that Mr. Peanut Butter, the thick host, doesn't quite realise just how thick he's been here. It's as if he's lost sight of what was on that script to ensure that Daniel Radcliffe won. He should be as happy as the producers are that Daniel Radcliffe has got that question, but no, he's lost sight of everything a little bit. And he ends with, oh, no wonder my wife had to write your book for you. And that's when Bojack snaps. He, uh, he immediately fires back. Oh, is that why she escaped to Cordovia? Um, at which point kind of revealing that he knows that Diane has gone to possibly avoid problems in Mr. Peanutbutter's marriage. Mr. Peanutbutter stutters, he stammers. He says, no, no, she went to help people. 
but uh, he takes it very, very personally and uh, decides to make it go really, really real. We're going to make this go really real. You want to get real, dear? Let's get real. As if to sort of acknowledge that everything has been the fakest that's ever happened because <laughs> yeah. we're going to get real. And brings out two very, very plain folding chairs, which again are in a, a stark contrast to everything being a prop and notes that they're going to cancel the bubble round in order for things to get real. Um, the folding chairs come out. He calls Bojack out for trying to kiss Diane in the car. Yes, he knew that Bojack tried to kiss her in the car, which completely disarms and wrongfoots Bojack. Um, there is shock everywhere, uh, right through to the control room, who now realise that they're instead directing a live stage play rather than a quiz show, as if J.D. Salinger acting as if this was the intention all along. Finally, his talking props have come to life other than Wanda, who is just glued to the second screen. So by watching people talk about the show, she continues to miss the show. J.D. Salinger calls for stage rain because he wants to see them have this conversation while soaked by rain clouds to capture the cinematic essence of it. This is his art, Nicholas. They are having a cinematic showdown, like going through all the things that have come between them so far in the show. Uh, Bojack talks about being jealous that everything comes so easy to Mr. Peanut Butter. But Mr. Peanut Butter fires back that Bojack has got it all. He's a millionaire. He's got a girlfriend who loves him. He's got a dream movie role. But Bojack says... He just wants to feel good about himself and he doesn't know how or if he can. And um, we'll come back to this scene in a minute because there were some really lovely details fleshed out between the two of them. Um, but Mr. Peanut Butter isn't sure if he can forgive him until after this break. Um, an incredible TV style way to cut this conversation off at the pass. But I just want to backtrack a little bit onto the row specifically because for Peanut Butter to, to assume that Bojack is jealous of Diane only for Bojack to then report very earnestly, no, it's not Diane, it's about everything else. And for Peanut Butter to focus specifically on Bojack's wealth and having a girlfriend that loves him is him obviously wearing his own current scars. Never, I don't think, when they are theoretically pulled apart in this fight that has been coming since the pilot, have these two characters felt so close together. They've never felt more close together, but they've also never both been so open and honest with each other, which is mm. like in the most ridiculous setting possible. Of course, Bojack, the show, decided to go there and put them in this ridiculously fake scenario to actually get an ounce of reality from them, like getting blood out of a stone at the best of times with these two. But actually, they're both in a really bad place and it just kind of comes out, doesn't it? And I have to say, I've been meaning to say this every time we go back to him. First of all, Alan Arkin, man. Just Alan Arkin in this episode as J.D. Salinger is just incredible like mm. a brilliant performance however that doesn't matter because jd salinger asking for rain in fact <laughs> scratch that demanding the rain because he is god he is jd salinger and he demands rain this is his show and he wants rain damn it give him rain honestly brilliant because what there's no need for this rain it's completely and it shows you that he doesn't care at all mr peanut butter someone he now works with his colleague doesn't care, cover him in rain. Bojack, we already know, he doesn't give a toss about anyway, but this just hammered it home for me. All the while, somehow, it manages to stay away from Daniel Radcliffe, who has an umbrella throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Completely unscathed, the big star is the one who gets saved. This was this was great on so many different levels. This was the bit that made me think most of uh, the Truman Show and how the yes. God Complex increases, because in the Truman Show, obviously, weather is a key element of it. It often is used to control 
uh, like the sort of the circumstances and the conditions stops him going too far out to sea to expose his life, things like that. Yeah. And this is very much a case that here, Salinger literally plucks something out of thin air, in this case, a rain cloud to rain atop them to create the scene. He wants to create his art, as he calls it, because he is playing God. Um, <laughs> to follow up on that, and again, the delivery of this line, I'm glad, I'm glad you've uh, you pointed out. I knew it. I knew this show could bring us to the heights of human drama more than literature ever could. <laughs> as if now, J.D. Sanders finally found his true calling. <laughs> uh, oh. Again, in the break where Mr. Peanut Butter has gone, he wants to forgive Bojack. Wanda goes to him to ask if he can just forgive him for whatever it is. She still doesn't know what they've rowed over. She's been glued to the second screen, and it's only the second screen that really is making her want to um, resolve this issue, because brilliantly, here is where the crux of the matter comes in. The fix was in against Bojack to lose this show, but the fix was in against Mr. Peanut Butter to do his goddamn job, and his job here is to resolve a 30-minute television show. Again, everything in these characters' lives results back to Peanut Butter's house or to horsing around. This isn't a game show. This isn't J.D. Salinger's art. This is a network's nice, cute 30-minute television show. Wanda goes full network executive. It is if every time we've seen a network executive force the talent, I use that in inverted commas, but use force the talent <laughs> to make a very difficult decision where they have to pick between the show or their ethics, it's as if they become like a Disney supervillain. We've seen nothing but like the lovely side of Wanda. But how has she become a television executive in the first place other than being in a coma for 30 years? She's had to be the one to make these difficult calls. And upon seeing like swathe after wave of feedback from all these people on the second screen, she no longer cares about the show. She cares about their response to the show. So she effectively bollocks Mr. Peanut Butter into forgiving Bojack for whatever it is and resolve it because these people want a resolution. There is that evil side that ironically enough Bojack would probably be able to find a connection to but they've never ever shown that to each other it's something that Mr Peanut Butter has left to dwell on rather than Bojack he, uh, he's doing his uh, closing address on whether or not he's going to forgive Bojack or not back on the stage but then a power outage is caused by Todd unplugging the entire show to use a George Foreman grill to make J.D. Salinger's food thinking that would be the thing that would get him the pen Mia luckily spots this plugs the show back in saves it gets the pen. She's absolutely thrilled with that. She gets the validation from J.D. Salinger. We are back to the set again. Everything happening so, so, so quick. It's to Mr. Peanut Butter who actually forgives Bojack. And it's only at this point when Wanda actually watches and hears for the first time that Bojack tried to kiss Diane. Um, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe rationalises that the only way for this kiss and everything that it represented to be forgiven is for Bojack and Mr. Peanut Butter to kiss to make it right. He immediately gets the studio, the execs, everybody on that side. Um, it's a, brilliantly, love this touch. The kiss itself is at first obscured by J.D. Salinger's head. We don't see it. And this feels very much like how television used to bottle uh, homosexuality. Uh, it would often stray away from showing a gay kiss, would show gay characters showing affection. And just when you think Bojack Horseman is referencing that by doing that, J.D. Salinger moves away from the screen and we get plenty of time to see Bojack and Mr. Peanut Butter kissing to what is rapturous applause from people believing this Daniel Radcliffe was right and this was the perfect reconciliation tactic. I, I really appreciated the dig at those shows that have done that yeah. for generations and how, like, moving that forward, even in the shows off the top of my head, something like A Modern Family, which has been praised rightfully so for its um, representation of, like, gay marriage and relationship and adoption and things like that, even that for the longest time, was put under intense scrutiny about how the gay characters in that would kiss or how they would romantically interact. And yes, 
This might be a cartoon and it might be a dog and it might be a horse, but these are males that have been given this strange way that they've got to work out this issue and the show just could have not animated that scene and it did. And brilliantly, that is the point where RBW is playing God because he gets his God character to move out the way so that his show can reflect that, can try and normalise something that television and film has still... It's only just now, I think, stopping struggling with. I thought that was a really, really... Like, while Daniel Radcliffe came up with what appeared to be an absurd way to pay this off, Bojack Horse from the television show got it spot on. And even kind of emphasised as well by the um, the little kiss cam that they do that goes <laughs> yeah. around the two, this lovely little love heart that kind of really accentuates it all. And it is, it's it's big, dumb fun, but at the same time, you're right, the fact that they use Salinger and you think maybe we're gonna, it's going to be obscured because the big thing is about the God complex guy in the middle. And actually, he's like, no, there's a bigger thing here. He goes off to, to enjoy his victory as it is, <laughs> and we get left with poor Jack and Mr. Peanut Butter having a good old-fashioned neck on, Michael. First time I've seen a dog and a horse neck on. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's been a lot of firsts, but that wasn't what I expected us to report on. <laughs> we started this podcast. Um, Todd, meanwhile, is glum over not getting the pen. Um, but while interacting with Mira about this, fakes being miserable to get it from her, then rips the piss out of her for his little sympathy trick working. Mia tries to explain how the pen is just symbolic rather than it being the literal representation, <laughs> which of course Todd doesn't get, which leads to her absolutely bollocking him. Uh, this was fantastic. This bollocking is framed as a sitcom romantic meet-cute. She's saying, oh, you're so terrible, you're so annoying, and we've seen it 100 million times. That is when the woman by bollocking the man, suddenly realises that she's fallen for him. But not in this case. What they do is this wonderful meta joke where it cuts to a How I Met Your Mother cutaway of Todd as a 78-year-old granddad saying, well, children, and that's how I met 
this pen. He's not got <laughs> me because this is not the 1990s anymore and we can stop doing this joke. That bollocking probably ended with a bollocking because Todd had been a piece of garbage to her and she didn't need the pen. But there's a further gag here because Todd isn't talking to children. He's in the wig room. He's wearing a granddad's wig of his own, talking to another series of wigs because he's still just messing about with costumes. J.D. Sandra goes to get his pen back, but he won't give it. Todd runs away with a pen, which in his mind thinks he's won the day. All his mannequin heads just left there. Todd, as if to prove that everything he's done here has been reckless rather than good, says, suck a dick, dumb sh the tell to us that it's okay to think Todd, the fool, the reckless one, the guy that has been destructive rather than productive here. Um, Mia has won this plot because she didn't need the pen and she totally didn't need to start seeing Todd. That would have yeah. obviously oh, been no. that would have been the cop out thing that every other show of all time has done. So yeah. of course, boy, I didn't do it. It ruthlessly mocked it by using an entire other show's premise to take the piss out of it. Oh my word, the bollocks on that gag. But we're back to Bojack, who has won the quiz. <laughs> He's won $500,000 for charity. I just want to stop there. So we've seen $54,000 thrown into a Kia Sportage for Daniel Radcliffe to grab. But that wasn't all the cash, so we don't know how much cash was in the, was in the brand new car filled with cash. So the, there's that. Half a million yeah. for winning the money. But, Nicholas, you can risk it all to win a million for charity. Now, just a quick moment on the ethics of a charity <laughs> game. A double or nothing finale. <laughs> if you can imagine, if you can imagine a, a charitable show where they put bring a celebrity on and then say, but you could lose it all for the big gamble. For them to use that quiz show device <laughs> and to the tune of half a million dollars is absolutely gross. And if you think that this isn't enough of a hellscape, a literal hellscape opens up under the a lobster net. of The, the $500,000, <laughs> I should explain, is just a series of notes in a lobster catch net that is now hung over a flaming inferno pit, which it will be cut off and dropped into if Bojack gets the question wrong. Um, if he if he chooses to gamble, like this, he should probably just take the half a million, take it off to the charity. But no, he gambles. He doesn't like how his ego has been bruised over the course of this half an hour of television. So he decides to gamble it. The money is suspended over the fire, fire pit, but it's okay. This question's a piece of piss. Like, finally, the game, the game has been rigged all along for a million dollars to go to charity. Maybe Hollywood isn't so awful after all. Maybe the people at Breeds are quite nice. Question for Bojack is, <laughs> who played... Harry Potter. <laughs> Bojack looks over to Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, the man who has been getting his name wrong all the way through this episode, time after time after time after time. He's still bitter about the first conversation he had with Daniel Radcliffe behind the curtain before they went back on stage together. After admitting that he doesn't know how he can be better, how he can be happy, Mr. Peanut Butter himself literally gives him the opportunity to do it by putting his ego to one side to give a million dollars to charity. Bojack lingers over the moment, sneeringly delivers the line, Elijah Wood. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe screams, <laughs> revealing his own vanity. Elijah Wood! And as he does it, the $500,000 drop into the fire pit, leaving some notes on fire to like sort of breeze off in the wind. End. Finn. Just magnificent, this. Like, Bojack Horseman, Michael, is a piece of <laughs> He's an absolute piece of shit. But 
there's something so so I never thought I would laugh as hard as I did at the words Elijah Wood, right? For two reasons. One, because it's hilarious, the fact that he's too petty to just to, to do the right thing for charity. Yeah, give a million dollars essentially to charity. And he wants to get revenge on Daniel Radcliffe. But the funnier fact, yeah, is that he chooses Elijah Wood, who is, of course, the central part of another huge franchise, <laughs> who is also a very similar-looking guy to Daniel Radcliffe, who really, aside from being in the franchise, has struggled to kind of shake that off. Like, that's mm. the thing he is. I just thought that was so clever that they used Elijah Wood because it really gets in the Radcliffe skin. <laughs> So brilliantly, because even though he's angry with Bojack for being a piece of shit, Radcliffe's a piece of shit as well. <laughs> it's just the fact that obviously, after everything they've gone through, within seconds of Bojack having this realization to Mr. Peanut Butter, to Mr. Peanut Butter to give him that way out of the way he's been feeling, and Bojack's like flagrant inability to do it is remarkable. He belonged on this show all along and not because they needed a first guest or not because he was the little celebrity to Daniel Radcliffe's big celebrity. He belonged on it because this is garbage and Bojack continues, in spite of some efforts, to mostly be a garbage person. Like, the one thing we're missing here, of course, is the fact that there was a huge question that we needed answering at the end of this show, Michael, and the question was, Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? And the answer, after a lot of probing, is... No, they don't know things. <laughs> they certainly don't know how to be real people. They have learned absolutely nothing from this experience. And ultimately, they are all probably worse off than they were when they first started. There is no Hollywood stars and celebrities section after this, as it would normally be. The whole episode, as you can see, was Hollywood stars and celebrities. The interaction, I'll just touch briefly, obviously, there is nothing to report on the characters because all the A, B, C and D plots were woven in together. And as Wanda says we always get a resolution. And the fact that the very last words of the episode were very much not getting a, revolution, uh, a resolution. Yeah. Money falling into a fire pit while Daniel Radcliffe screams Elijah Wood's name is not <laughs> a neatly packaged res resolution over 30 minutes. But just again, the idea that um, Wanda, for the first time really, gets to show the other side of uh, uh, the professional side. There was a mirroring between Wanda and Princess Carolyn throughout this episode. I believe in The Office, Michael Scott calls it his ex and his sex. But that phenomenon oh, of, of two women coming together that are played very similar all of a sudden because it's all meant to centre around the one man because a male figure must always be the pillar, must always yeah. be the still point with which the women turn around him. Another just key point here because somebody else that we would normally talk about at this point in the episode, which we won't. In this episode, where everything was bullshit, who was missing? It was Diane, because she would not fit. She doesn't fit in this world. She's not just in Cordovia to help people, as we know. She's not just there because her and Mr. Peanut are having marital problems. In the narrative of Bojack Horseman, the television show, she's not here because, thank God, because if Diane is here, then everything else is wrong. You cannot put truth in this world of utter lies. Exactly. It just wouldn't have fit, would it? It wouldn't have worked, and it would have done a disservice to Diane, truth be told. Although <laughs> yeah. she does end up becoming a focal point, in the fact that we do also get the tiny tidbit, don't we, that Wanda discovers that Bojack and Diane shared a kiss, which she didn't mm -hmm. know. And just to add quickly to your bit before I dive into horsing around here, um, I thought it was fascinating how they used Wanda as a good representation of, like, execs and how they don't actually care about what is on the show. They mm -hmm. just care about what's happening on the socials. They care about what's happening with the ratings, the numbers. None of the other actual stuff that's on the show, as long as it's above board and, quote-unquote, legal, they don't care. They just want good numbers. They just want good reactions. Wanda was not watching the show. She missed so much, but she ultimately 
was just looking through the eyes of people who were having a good and or bad time. As we know, working in the game, when people are talking about something on socials, they don't care if it's good or bad. They just care that they're talking about it. And as we see yeah. here, nothing matters. I thought that in the episode itself was like it was like really, really smart how they used like diversionary tactics to take you mm. away. You sort of felt like Wanda for a second. You were diverted away from the crux of the story. And if you think about every interaction that Diane and Wanda have had so far, Wanda, like there's a dramatic irony. We understand more about Diane and Bojack's complex relationship more than Wanda does. Wanda has received Diane as like answer a picnic. She's a bit of a misery when they're all together in a group because she's raising points. We never hear Diane as somebody complaining. We hear her as the rational voice to Bojack's stupidity or Todd's and Mr. Peanut Butter's insane plans. Whereas Wanda, generally positive, is like, oh, like, why is Diane saying that? She's, she's complaining an awful lot of things like that. Meanwhile, Diane has tried really hard not to show little flashes of jealousy towards everyone else that Bojack's been in a relationship with or when Bojack's been sleeping around. There is something there that she can't reconcile within herself about Bojack Horseman. And I love that that was completely pushed to one side over the past three episodes so that when it hits you, it hits you like a bullet. It hits, it hits Wonder in the same way that it hits you because yeah. Mr. Peanut Butter... Mr. Peanut Butter was in on it. He understands Bojack. He doesn't understand Bojack and Diane's relationship, but he gets that there is a relationship. And more importantly, he wasn't in the dark about it. Diane told him, and they moved past it. It's Wanda, along with us, that were taken completely by surprise. We've been watching the show, unlike her, and yet yeah. we share her shock. Absolutely. And it's a great way of using it as well, because we wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have got that revelation otherwise, which is quite nice mm. to manage to turn an episode of complete stupidity into... The one nugget we get out of this, what do they know? Do they know things? Well, now one that knows that Bojack kissed Diane, something yeah. which she didn't know beforehand. Anyway, that's enough of this goddamn lunatic show. <sighs> Until it isn't, because we're going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the segment we call Horsing Around, where we go back to the show and we pick out all of the hidden details, the things you might have missed, the small Easter eggs in the episode. There wasn't a ton, but there was one in particular which ends up stretching it out to seem like a ton. So <laughs> hopefully we will uh, be able to fill this out. Let's get right into it, shall we? Back to the beginning, the very opening scene. We've mentioned, of course, that the opening felt like very much a nod to the Aaron Sorkin style of um, TV. We've seen it in the West Wing and we've seen it in Studio 60. And it was relevant, of course, that they mentioned that the show itself was taking place in the historic Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Now, during that opening scene, there's a lot of things going on. As Some of it was, it was fairly self-explanatory, but a couple of things to pick out. Uh, in the background, at the very, very back, when they're doing this walk down the corridor, uh, you can see, again, Michael, do you remember I've spoken about the orangutan who's featured in a few episodes now, <laughs> who turned up in a previous episode, I believe it was Higher Love, where, or maybe, yes, Higher Love, where, um, with uh, Princess Carolyn and uh, Ruda Bega were chatting, mm. and he's in, he work, he's in their offices swinging, to his next place yes, of work. Yeah. Now he's wearing a blazer and he's got the denim jeans on and he was previously at the David Boreanaz party uh, just wearing the jeans and ripping the sink out of Bojack's house, coincidentally. What does this orangutan do? What is his job? Because he is swinging around in the background of MBN Studios this time on his way to do something else. But I don't know what it is he does. Maybe he's a writer. Maybe he works. Who knows? But this guy is involved in some way, shape or form. I bet it's not taken him five years to get there as well. I bet it hasn't. I bet he's just swing from vine to vine and got to the next (laughs) good part of his job. Bless him. More on the poor woman who has the five-year struggle in a bit, though, Michael Hamford. I'll leave you with that teaser. Uh, Another little thing I noticed, Mr. Peanut Butter's vocal warm-ups. He's like, me, 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 me. And then just says, good boy. 
Good boy. <laughs> Try to get himself prepared for the role. There is also inside the control room, we see one of the editors of the show, the live cut, as is an octopus, of course, Michael. Who better to work the, to work the console than someone yeah. with eight arms? <laughs> uh, and on the backboard, we see a storyboard set out for the whole episode. Now, this is where it gets long. Acts one, two, and three, it is split out into, of course it is, because this is Bojack Horseman, Michael. It's a three-act <laughs> show. And as you referenced earlier before we did this, J.D. Salinger splitting the whole thing into three acts because, of course, he has to apply that to a game show. <laughs> but amongst other things, there's a ton of stuff on this board. A lot of the rounds you'll notice are in there, like mm. the um, Death from Above round we see, the Drop the Bomb round is in there. There's a whole bunch of bits and bobs, head-to-head, -head, that sort of thing. But there's a bunch of weird phrases in there as well, which at first sight you might think it's just random names for these rounds, but they are not. They are all, in some way, shape, or form, connected to J.D. Salinger and his Ooh. works. And there's a lot of them. So there's a bunch of references to Catcher in the Rye, which I'll get through first, yeah? There's the words ducks in the lagoon, which is the thing that Holden talks about when it's the ducks and out in winter, when the ponds freeze over. Yes. Where do they go? Where do they fly off to? There's also a reference to the word Edmund, which is the Edmund Hotel, which is where Holden ends up in the Catcher in the Rye. He's talking to the cab driver, trying to get him to answer the question about the ducks that have frozen. Yeah. Where do they go? The cab driver hates him for it. But the... Where do they go? Do they go places? Let's find out. Do they go places? Let's find out. The cab driver says, no, let's not find out. Go to where you're going, please. So that's the Edmund Hotel. There's also the phrase, give her the time, which might look like a nothing, but inside Catcher in the Right, Holden is asking Stradlatter about Jane Gallagher and says to him, what did you do? Did you give her the time in Ed Banky's goddamn car? Which is, of course, give her the time, uh, hmm. presumed to mean sex, Michael. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super wise in those departments, but there you go. There's also the phrase Little Shirley Beans, which is, of course, the record that Holden buys for his sister Phoebe, that is by Estelle Fletcher. Uh, and then, of course, the word that you'll all recognise, phonies. And I don't think I need to explain that one, but a favourite catchphrase of yeah. Holden's. Now, on top of that, there's also the words Camp Wigwam, which to you and I probably sounds quite stupid. But actually, Camp Wigwam is a summer camp that happens to be, in, of all places, a real-life place in Maine, Michael Hamlet. And it's oh, somewhere lush. But it's also somewhere that JD Salinger went to and is an alumni of, and I believe he references it in a few pieces of his own work, hence it's being on the board. Speaking of JD Salinger's other works, Michael Hamlet, there's also a bunch of references to his short stories in there as well. There's the phrase pretty mouth, which is in reference to his short story, Pretty Mouth and Green My Eyes. There is the phrase Glass Family who are a fictional family who are feature in a bunch of Salinger's short stories. They're like a continuous theme throughout a few of them. There's also Franny and Zooey, which is in reference to the book, which features the short story Franny and his novella, Zooey, two separate things. There is also Uncle Wiggly, which obviously sounds quite funny, but is in <laughs> reference to the short story Uncle Wiggly in Connecticut, which is another one. We also get War with Eskimos, again, another reference to his short story just before the war with the Eskimos and Finally, there is also Laughing Man, which is a reference to the final short story, The Laughing Man. So all of that took ages for me to do, and I'm um, <laughs> a pat on the back for that, I think. <laughs> very good. Very impressed. Thank you very much. Although, ironically, that was all followed by the phrase in the show, nothing is more important than television, and no one more important than the people who make that television. And if that's not a wonderful meta reference to the creators of Bojack Horseman as well, I don't know what is. We move on to the actual set now. We're going to go through this quite quick 
back and forth here because it's on set, backstage and in the control room quite frequently. On set, though, the narrator, of course, revealing that the historic studio is, of course, the Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. There's also a girl in the audience who you'll spot who is Claire, who we've seen already in the show. We saw her in episode six. She's the girl in Lady Footlocker, who's been impressed by Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> but she's also in episode two, as we've already mentioned previously, she's one of Bojack's dates from the quick yes. load of fast dates that we see him on in that episode. Also backstage, you mentioned it already, just a quick uh, plug for this one. Mia just carrying a bag of ear confetti, which, <laughs> brilliant. What other show are you going to see that on? <laughs> Back to the control room, though, and inside, once again, the octopus who I mentioned is in control of the console. That particular octopus is wearing a Ralph Lauren polo shirt, and instead of the normal person on a horse, we just get a horse dressed as a person with the little mallet from the, for the polo yeah. that they play on there. Uh, also, there's an assistant who's in there wearing a decapathon T-shirt, of course, in reference to Todd. <laughs> but I guess also hinting perhaps at how spectacularly wrong and off the rails Todd's going to go in this episode, maybe. <laughs> Brilliantly, though, on the control console that the octopus is operating, we get a bunch of effects that are on the board, like buttons that you can press and stuff. Mm. Some of these are wonderful. To the left, there's a little four-channel a four thing where you can use earth, you can use wind, you can use fire, and, Michael, you can use... Farts as well, which is the fourth one. <laughs> because that would be far too obvious to be water. There's also a bunch of other buttons over to the top right corner. One of them says, call mom. The other one says, another one says, number one button. One of the buttons is just three question marks. And then the, the last button just says, second best button. <laughs> and the effects buttons at the bottom, there's two rows of them, which... um the octopus can use at any time throughout the show, and I'll just quickly run through them. The first row of effects says blast, burst, smoke, blob, heavy fit, heavy fizz, or soft paw. <laughs> and then below that, we have another bunch of effects. One of them just says explode, which I guess is like a, a sort of abbreviation of explode. We get tinkle, fog, <laughs> gravy, <laughs> glue. And goo. So a couple of nice ones there. I would give anything for a gravy button in my house. <laughs> Honestly, just for it to drop all over your head. <laughs> Something like Splode, you know, it makes you think that, again, like obviously Vincent Adultman was the character yeah. to show that like men can get anywhere, even if they're not men, they're three children on each other's shoulders. Somewhere there is another Vincent Adultman working in the studio that says, oh, we need another button. What do you think? Splode? Because it's yeah. just another mad child <laughs> creation. Irony, yeah. Yeah, and the irony here is as well that if it was meant to be an abbreviation, if they just swapped the S for an X, it would still be Explode, which is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the set, though, again, we go back. You mentioned Bojack dropped a couple of jokes that just did not hit well. And we see in the audience our literal crickets who are there, <laughs> cricketing away, not impressed by him. Also, a little throwback to, I can't remember, it was in season one where he's doing the stand-up with Herb and he's dying to death. And those same, well... I wouldn't want to stereotype all critic, uh, crickets, Michael, but they certainly look like the same crickets from that episode who were not impressed. Mr. Peanut Butter also says to Bojack, while they're ribbing each other, he says, are we at Tony Roma's right now? Because there's a lot of ribbing going on. And for anybody who's <laughs> over in America, I will know that Tony Roma's is, of course, a steakhouse franchise who specialise in baby back ribs, hence the jab. Back on set, though, just a little quick nod to the, the Kia Sportage that Daniel Radcliffe is in grabbing all the money. The license plate on that car is Gamshaw. <laughs> <laughs> One letter shy away from being right, but I suppose it's better than nothing. Back to the Princess Carolyn flashback. This was good. There was a few uh, flashback, I guess, more of a made up story, it feels, but mm. never mind. 
Um, she says she talks about a then relevant Wilma Valderrama. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know who Wilma Valderrama is, he is of course the man who played Fez in that '70s show, uh, who was very much relevant then. Probably not so much now. I think it's mm. fair to say. Uh, the people at the poker table I thought were interesting. Another one of these gags we've seen Princess Carolyn do jokes with all the L's before in mm. season one. She also did a gag about the J's in a couple of uh, seasons ago. During High, I love as well. I think that was where she talked about Jay Leno, Jay Lo, all yes. those kind of people. Well, there's a bunch of L's in this one. We get Lucy Lawless, who is, of course, the woman who played Xena Warrior Princess. Mm -hmm. We get Lucy Liu, who has been in many things, but most yeah. people will know her as Ling Wu from Ali McBeal. And now, Joan Watson in, of course, the uh, Sherlock yeah. Holmes show, Elementary. And we also get Laurie Laughlin, who is from Full House. Or the other thing you might know her from, which is the Nationwide College Entrance Exam Cheating Scandal of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my go-to. That's the one I would go for, definitely. <laughs> uh, I'd like to point out she's on her way to prison at some point soon, which is good. <laughs> um, and Lisa Loeb as well, which is another one, who's the singer-songwriter who did the hit song Stay I Missed You, which you, I'm sure you'll all know. But on top of that, we also get the dog from Frasier, just sitting there, <laughs> who is not named L. His name is, of course, Eddie, which is even funnier because it couldn't even just fit in with the dog being called Louie or something like that, which I thought was great. Um, we go backstage, just a quick little gag about the workers who are there. We get two worker bees who are doing two very different things here. One of them is wheeling a barrel, and that barrel is like split into two parts. The top part is labelled Cheese Weenies and Lil Smokies. <laughs> And the bottom part is just party mix because <laughs> hey, these people still need food, despite the fact that catering does actually look quite good on this show, I will mm. say. There's also another wake up though who comes past at some point in the background. I, I believe it's after, maybe before, they have the round to do with Egypt. And the mm. wake up comes past and he's pushing along the actual Rosetta Stone just randomly <laughs> on wheels. For anybody who doesn't know the Rosetta Stone, of course, the um, slab that was discovered in Egypt, which helped people uncover how to decode hieroglyphics, which obviously mm -hmm. opened up a bunch of other things. And I just thought that was such a clever and quick nod yeah. to do that. Um, backstage again, a couple of things here from Wanda that I picked up on. Um, I thought this was, it was so funny, but it was so like brutally blunt and quick. She says, people are losing their tits about this show. And then she says, Oh, no, wait. I stumbled onto a cancer support message board. How do I get off? And honestly, yeah. it was... <laughs> she's, like, she's like muttering away as she walks out the room. And I just thought, what a... It's a bold joke. It's a bold <laughs> one. But it, it did... I would be lying if it said it didn't make me laugh. It's in... Um, it's like, it's... They're, they're playing the gag that she can't work technology. She as can't well. work technology. It does actually tie together, as well as being this, like, incredibly, like, dark one-liner. Indeed. And she's kind of the bumbling adult who still doesn't figure out how to do these things and ends yeah. up on some very questionable areas. <laughs> um, and then we also get... I just thought this was such a great little dig that they do kind of thing at AMC in this, when Wanda's talking to Peanut Butter, and she says, you want to host a game show where everyone feels bad at the end? Get in your little car and drive to Santa Monica and pitch it to AMC. These people want resolution, which, of course, is wonderfully, wonderfully put together. And because, Michael Hamlet, this is not a show that ends in 30 minutes, but that is a quiz show that needs to end in 30 minutes. <laughs> it needs to end happily. And, again, you've mentioned it already, but just a little nod to Todd's flash-forward, of course. I say a flash-forward, not really, but a <laughs> reference to how, how I met your mother when he says, and that's the story of how I met this pen. Just <laughs> And to kind of completely on the premise of an entire sitcom pretty mm -hmm. much which i thought was brilliant i thought what a great way to do that and to highlight as you mentioned 
that Mia doesn't need this little side thing with Todd. He's useless. He's a toxic, <laughs> a toxic, toxic person to be around. And it wouldn't have enhanced her life or work at all, which I just thought was brilliant. That was all I had for the horse around bits today. But, Michael, I do have a really, what I thought was really good. One last thing, and then I swear to God, I'll shut up about this podcast forever. And I know you've got one as well, which we discussed briefly because we didn't want any clashes. Would you like to go first this week? Go on, then. Go on, do. you go first. So, my one last thing. So, the gag, obviously, is very, very important to the, the very end of the show, the grand finale, is that Danny Radcliffe just can't remember Bojack's name. Or he could be big leaguing it and getting it wrong over and over again. That's never Definitely big leaguing him. Definitely. The way he screams Elijah Wood at the end implies yeah. that he's leaving him the whole way through. And to get this joke across, um, we hear all the names that Dan Radcliffe calls him. Throughout the episode, we get Chadwick Boseman, BJ Novak, Horshack, Bo Jangles, Jock Jam Dorslan. These are <laughs> sillier and sillier and sillier in a gradual scale. And it struck me that obviously all of these names, hearing them one after another after another, led to Bojack making that incredibly... Um, selfish decision for a hit like almost like a like a, a sexual thrill to do something very very dangerous and deadly indeed yeah. which is very very much like the fact that we had around 10 different synonyms two episodes ago for autoerotic asphyxiation the severity of that situation the destructive masturbatory implications became the gag oh. itself Sorry, Michael, are you referring to Strangle the Dirty Dangle, the Blue Face Blast Off, the Strokey Chokey, the Two Neck Squeeze, the One Hand on Adam's Apple, One Hand on Adam's Banana, the Hardcore Gasper, the Rolling the Dice, the Old Gasp and Goo, or Do the Funky Spider Man? I don't know which one you're talking about there. Elijah Wood! I just thought the two mirroring of those things to give the gag after gag after gag after gag after gag, and it lead to something. Ultimately, with fatal consequences in both cases, it just felt like a really cute way to use that device yet again for this episode, albeit in an entirely different set of circumstances. Completely different, but the joke still hits really, really well. Yeah. And it's also something that's just kind of so so true in the world of Hollywood, isn't it? Hollywood, even in this. One thing, we've got this big league and situation going on. But the other thing is also, it's that thing of people trying to be hip and coming up with clever nicknames and terms and stuff that nobody else has figured out. These are two... <laughs> sort of bullshit Hollywood things that are so prevalent throughout. But speaking of bullshit Hollywood, Michael, let's get on to my one last thing, and I swear to God I'll shut up about this podcast forever, because if I said the name Veronica to you, mm-hmm. what would it mean? Not very much to me, personally. Very much. Interesting that, because she's in this episode, Michael. Mm-hmm. You just don't really probably didn't take in the fact that she has a name and she's a real human being because they don't treat her that way. I am, of course, referring to Veronica, who we have spoken about, the bird assistant in this episode. Ah. And, I'd like, and I would like to call this part Veronica's Bad Day. Because, <laughs> because it comes along in three parts and they are progressively more funny as they go along. The first time we see Veronica, she's backstage and Bojack comes back in after the first round commercial. He's furious. And he bursts through the door. And as he bursts through the door, she's waiting behind it and gets absolutely squashed by this door to the point where a puff of feathers comes flying <laughs> up and is smashed down into the side. She's gone. We don't see her again until he comes back in after another round. And just as she sees him and he's heading towards the uh, buffet where the catering is, 
he's going to grab himself a burrito. Veronica, who was noticeably scared at this point because she's been hit by a door, <laughs> starts to back away because she sees Bojack. She's like, oh, I don't want to get hit get, like, by Bojack. He's walking in. As she walks backwards, she walks towards another door and Wanda bursts through the door <laughs> and again smashes Veronica with this door. More feathers go in flight. Of course, as this happens, Veronica is losing more feathers throughout the episode to the point where she's almost featherless when the last time we see her, who was she's had a bad day at this point, broken mm. and bruised. And just when she thinks she's going to get a big break, Michael, Mr. Peanut Butter decides that he's going to cancel the bubble round. And as, he, <laughs> and as he does just that, the camera pans across to reveal Veronica stood there with a bucket that is labelled with pen, bubbles. And it's one of those like little bubble dipping things where you put it in. <laughs> That's how, bear in mind how like high budget this show is. The bubble round was going to be Veronica, an assistant who's probably underpaid and has spent five years trying to make a name for herself, mm-hmm. using a giant, what I'm calling a bubble wand, which is going to dip it in this bucket and run around and make bubbles happen. <laughs> and even though that's stupid, it would be a nice release for her, and she doesn't get it, because two blokes want to have that time and talk about it on TV, so they cut her out entirely. She sighs a big sigh, oh, and just walks off with this bubble wand, and it's the saddest saddest thing but what a bad day poor veronica's had there man i really like as well the use of like how she was assaulted by these doors because she's a woman in hollywood it's just a day yeah. getting doors slammed in your face yeah that's her whole life and the moment as Spend- you say there was no other woman that made that stage other than her and before she could even do what she was there to do demeaning as it was she was shunted off and as you say there, all these doors being shut in her face, that's probably been happening for the five years she's been there. And I think there's something else there as well about the fact that she loses her hair each time this happens. By the mm. time she's pretty much doing the bubble round, she's like nearly bald. Is And I feel like that's such a good sort of reference to the fact that this work is stressful. People are literally pulling their hair out trying to do this job. And this poor bird has lost pretty much all its feathers in one episode's filming of this live quiz show. How's she going to make it out through the whole season, Michael? I don't think she is. And for anybody that thinks us through reviewing it or the show through referencing it, thinks that the level of industry-level sexism is overstated, perhaps, well, A, you're wrong, and it's not. But that is expressed by the bubble round being replaced. For what? For Mr. Peanut Butter to make things get really, really, really real. They are telling you in the script, this is real, this is real, this is real, this is real. What's real? A woman has been marginalised, so two men can use a television platform to air their dirty laundry. Yeah, to air their dirty laundry, which actually happens to centre around the fact that they both are kind of claiming ownership over a woman. Yeah. So that's great also. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we picked a really good time to do this podcast, didn't we? Yes. Really right on the money and relevance. But hey, mm-hmm. you know, that's what the show is about, and it starts a conversation and, you know, starts a community, Michael. And speaking of a community and a conversation, why don't we do our quick plugs? And then we can do the synopsis and get the hell out of here, shall we? Yes, please. Because I feel like as two men doing a podcast, we are massive hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. can feel I'm due to the heat. I feel like at this point, this podcast has been directed by J.D. Sanders himself. <laughs> it's so hot that I can feel like he's just turned another lamp on over my head. He's put the bulbs on us, hasn't he? <laughs> anyway, if you would like to carry on this conversation, and now is probably a good time to really drop in with your messages about the show, about your favourite characters, about all the stuff that's happening right now on this show where we're up to of course in season two please do give us a follow on twitter you can follow this show on instagram and twitter at podcast horseman send us all your favorite things communicate with us let us know what you like what you don't like and any suggestions you may have we'll probably ignore them but hey 
That's the way <laughs> the cookie crumbles. Um, on top of that, though, you can also follow either of your hosts if you would like. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow my lovely colleague, Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Um, you can listen along with the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Acast, on Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you get them. We'd love it if you followed us on Spotify, you subscribed on Apple Podcasts. It just helps the podcast appear quicker for you, drops into your feed there on a Friday morning. On those Friday mornings, you can follow throughout Podcast Horseman an embedded tweet with the podcast in, if that's how you prefer to listen. And on Apple Podcasts, if you want to leave us a five-star review, it's really helpful for us, and it can be really helpful for you because you get to get read out on the show, which is exactly what Hairline Back is going to do here. He's left us a five-star review that says, Bro Jack Horsemen. Came across this podcast for a cheeky self-promo on What Culture WWE. Yeah, we do try and sneak those in. These guys have always been a staple of my week. Not only have they given me another podcast to listen to, I've rekindled the relationship I once started with this show. You both do a great job to break the show down without giving it all away and keep it conversational. Prime podcasting skills at its finest. Well done, chaps. Five-star review. Thank you very much, Hairline Back. A star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame will be winging its way to you over our socials in the very near future. Absolutely, and I will be using that quote as a reference for any future job opportunities in America. <laughs> I think it's probably a good idea. But speaking of using other people's words, Michael, let's go to Netflix for our synopsis for Season 2, Episode 9, which is called The Shot. Bojack cooks up a scheme with Kelsey, Todd, Princess Carolyn, and Mr. Peanut Butter to steal a crucial shot for the Secretariat film. That sounds mm. quite exciting, doesn't it? Does. Hey? It does sound exciting. You've got to nice shoot your shot, Michael. Nice to get back on set as well. Nice to it actually is. get back in the Secretariat game that we've got, like, that's been shunted slightly to one side. I'm curious to see how that goes. Nice to know that you can take time away from a busy filming schedule to film an episode of a quiz, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> when would that ever happen? Only in Hollywood, apparently. <laughs> anyway, if you want to find out what happens in that episode, you'll have to come back next week to get all of the juicy goss on that one. Until then, though, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.